Welcome to the Rory Runback. I'm your host, Jeff Rowan, and I have a great interview for you guys today with Mike Solina. He is the CEO and founder of the nonprofit A Shot for Life, and I'm happy to bring for you, to you an RI Sports Focus podcast. We will deep dive into our local high school, college, and athletic programs across our great state of Rhode Island. Here we go. Welcome to the Rudy Runback, episode 75, and I have a great interview for you guys today with Mike Salina. He is the CEO and founder of the A Shot for Life. A great interview with Mike. I really enjoyed our conversation. Mike goes into the background story of how A Shot for Life got started, where it is today, the idea of bringing it to Rhode Island, and much, much more. Just a great interview with Mike. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's a great Great guy, just with a lot of motivation and bring, doing great things. He's bringing a Shot for Life Foundation to Rhode Island to expand the, the foundation as well and help bring more awareness uh, to the foundation and to cancer. So just a great interview overall with Mike. You could hear how he, why he's bringing it to Rhode Island, why he chose Rhode Island. And we just could talk about how it got started. It's just an awesome interview. But you guys can watch today's interview on YouTube by hitting that like, share, and subscribe button. Or you can stay tuned here to any podcast platform that you listen to. Just remember that like, share, and subscribe button. And here is our episode with Mike. All right, on today's show, welcome on a very special guest. He is Mike Slonina. He is a CEO and founder for a shot, a shot for life. Mike, how are you today? I'm good, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. Hey, no problem. Did I get the last name, but you know, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Love what you're doing you know, in Massachusetts and soon what you're going to bring into Rhode Island, we'll definitely get into that. But first of all, Mike, I always ask all my guests all these questions before I start. How are you doing during these crazy COVID times? I'm doing good. Um, it is a crazy COVID time. This whole last 12 months, almost to the day, actually, uh, has been crazy. It's kind of been one curveball after the other, but everybody's healthy um, and looking very much forward to a life without COVID. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be really nice. I mean, I've just heard too that like Duke, they can't even continue their season with, because it's one of the guys got COVID from the tournament. <laughs> Terrible timing. I know it's got, it's awful, but uh, you know, it's crazy. But Mike, I, I want to, uh, you know, ask you, I want you to tell the listeners a little bit of background of how a shot for life got started and where it came from and where, did, how did it get going? Sure. So um, the real story of a shot for life starts in 2010 my mom was diagnosed with what was thought to be a malignant brain tumor um before i go any further it wasn't and she is okay and i know that so sometimes i forget to tell the other people that and then they are wondering what happened so it is a happy story but my family is one of an incredibly exponentially small percentage of people that have the outcome that we've had and a shot for life exists for all the families that don't have you know an amazing stroke of saving grace luck at the 11th hour um basketball has always been a really big part of my identity and a big part of my life and shooting is something that I always took really seriously and I want when she was diagnosed you know a a diagnosis like that makes you feel so powerless and you want to feel like you have some semblance of control in a situation where you realistically had none and I I just wanted to do something to make a difference Um, so I came up with a kind of a crazy idea that my mom actually hated at first 
And I started training three times a day because I wanted to become the first person in basketball history to shoot for 24 hours straight from all over the floor. Um, I had to see a nutritionist. I had to see conditioning people. She intentionally put up a million barriers to try to talk me out of doing it, but I was convinced. Um, I did on April 9th, 2011, I did become the first person to accomplish that. I shot 73.2% in 24 hours. And when it happened, it was just going to be a one-time thing. And then I wanted to be a sports psychologist and work with athletes. Um, a local ESPN reporter named Brendan Hall and a local Yahoo reporter picked up the story at the time. And then their national branches picked it up. And all of a sudden, people reached out from all over the world saying, what sports and cancer meant to them, what me and my mom's story meant to them. And at that point, it was like, all right, this is what I want to do. How do we make this a much bigger thing to impact a lot more people? Um, do you want me to go into the sequence of events from there? Um, yeah, yeah, if you would like to, I can also, I just want to ask a question too. What's it like shooting for 24 hours? Like how, like, how did you push through that? First of all, like, and everything. Yeah. I, so I am kind of crazy competitive. Um, you know, this was an obsession for me. This, there were so many things that were driving me with that experience. And, um, I'm just really competitive. I trained for a really long time. I, you know, it sounds like hyperbole, but I swear to you, it's not whatever it took to do those 24 hours is, is what it took. Um, and it, the truth is that I needed it on a, on a personal level. I, I, I realized when people were reaching out how much it would mean to so many other people. And I didn't know what the future of a shop, what a shop for life would look like. I didn't, even, it wasn't even an organization at the time, but it was just an event. But I knew that if this could go well, this is the type of thing that could lay the foundation to build a skyscraper. And that was what I wanted to do. And I, nothing was going to stop me from doing that. That's great. And like, how did, uh, you know, the guys from ESPN and Yahoo end up like finding out about the story? How did they pick up? Did you like publicize it or like, did it, how did it come about? Because I also read that you're a Guinness world record holder for shooting the 24 hours as well. So get, get, us and Guinness are in, in a conversation. Um, there are other world record databases that accept it. Their problem with it is that we don't have an exact count of how many shots I took from each spot. Ah. We have strong estimates. We have tens of hours of video. But we don't, I don't know exactly how many threes to the number. Um, so that's an ongoing discussion. Yeah. Hopefully as the shot life continues to get bigger, we can revisit that. And they listen uh, every day. So we're gonna like, we're gonna try to get <laughs> we do know no one else has ever done it before. That yeah, that yeah. is with nobody, that is without question. I never um, <laughs> that's great. But for, for Brendan, who was at ESPN at the time, I actually don't remember how it reached him, but he took an interest in the story and and he gave it a platform right away. And you know that. You know, there are so many people along the way for a journey like a shot for life that are indispensable to to what it's going to become and brendan is one of those people that got behind this right away nice and then what was like the process for you to go move go forward with this to actually you know make it an organization like how did you chase this because you're what 17 18 years old kid trying to yeah. start your own organization like when you walk into like lawyer's office today like like laugh at you like what do they say oh, yeah. to you when you come in that, that's that is, that is exactly what happened actually. So when the first event happened, we donated every dime um, to cancer research, which is in your head at the time, the noble thing to do. The problem is now you have no other money to run any other events. And so we are starting at zero and I would go into lawyers offices. I would explain what my vision was. I was 19 years old, um, probably, you know, now looking at it as a 28 year old, I probably sounded very incoherent at the time, but I definitely had passion. I've always had that. And I can't even tell you how many kicked me out or, or politely said, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you. We'll circle back and you never hear back. Um, I remember there was one lawyer actually in the seaport of Boston. I don't remember his name, but 
he told me that I should call the American Cancer Society and pray to God that they work with us. And for, for someone like me, I, I love that, honestly. Like it's, my reaction was, I love that. And, um, you know, stuff like that drives you. And so we did get a lawyer to work with us and, and uh, establish the organization. Um, and so there's a lot of steps you have to go. You have to get the 501c3 license. You have to get a solicitation license. That takes years to get. And so it, it did take some time to get that sort of um, back end stuff together. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, the 501c, I'm sure, is a process, all that stuff. But that's great. They had a lawyer to work with you. And I'm sure that Seaport lawyer definitely motivated you more to kind of get to where you want to be. He did. I'm, I'm very thankful for him. Yeah, yeah. Whoever you are. <laughs> but, um, that's and, right. And, and how, like, do you go to college? And, like, how do you stay motivated through this to keep this going as, you know, if you're in college and you're trying to work through this? So that, that's a good question. And while I was in college, truly, I, I wasn't sure I wanted to do this full time yet. I think, you know, when you're in college, you have this sort of fantasy idea of what your adult life is going to be like, that you're going to have so much free time. And oh, yeah, I can run two businesses. That's, that's not a problem at all. And um, I learned that, that that was not going to be as simple as I thought. And we were doing little events in college. Really, we were keeping the brand growing that, you know, we I did not have enough time to dedicate to it to raise the sums of money that we're raising now um, and that I think we're on the direct path to raising more, but I needed the brand to continue to grow. And so the first step in that process is actually the event that's moving to Rhode Island now. It's called the Ashar for Life Challenge. It is the only talent-based charity basketball program in the world. There's nothing else like it. Came up with the idea in my Quinnipiac dorm room as a sophomore in college. And I said, we're going to take the best shooters in Massachusetts, do a big competition, name the winner, the best shooter in the state. We did only a boys division the first year, just as a proof of concept. Later, a girls division will become um, a part of it the next year. And now it's become a, a really popular thing. Um, so really, we used the momentum that we still had from my first event to make that happen. And now we're at a stage seven, eight years in where our players are following in each other's footsteps. So it was, a, it was just an idea that came, came to me in my dorm room, but it's been a staple of what we do ever since. That's awesome. That's, that's great. And that's such a great idea to, you know, you build that and make it happen and make that staple. Like, and what was that like process of like getting other players interested and keep people coming back, keep people coming back to where the point you are now, where it's just like you mentioned the event and people are there. So like, what was it like to get the people keep coming and showing up? I think we were really lucky that we got so much press with the first event. It really was still so recent at the time that it was a pretty easy sell. Um, and we're really fortunate that our first couple classes took the responsibility of being an ASFL player seriously truthfully like they they set the tone that this is a roster so if you're picked as an underclassman you're back the following year and that sends the message to the freshman that looks up to them to the seventh grader that looks up to the freshman and it's just a domino effect from there and i i don't want to leave out any names um but there are so many players that were two or three year players that were sort of top level talents you know when players are going through the recruiting process sometimes the shop life can give a little bit of a bump because scouts will see your name in association with other players that are on their list. But these players that I'm thinking of in my head had already committed to, to their dream school and they still came back year after year. And that loyalty is something that I will always appreciate. And I hope they feel like we've given that back. That's awesome. That's great. That's really great. And now is it just high school? Is it just college? Like what, what is it like who else can like participate and what, what kind of players are you trying to get in as well? So the ASFL challenge is a talent-based program. So you first and foremost are scouted. And so you have to qualify on the floor and then you go through an interview process. And the interview is much more of a conversation than an interview. Um, in my experience, there are two types of 17-year-olds. There's the 17-year-old that's becoming a young adult. And then there's the 17-year-old that is, is maybe a little bit 
um, less prepared for an opportunity like this. And that's not a bad thing. That's these are teenagers, and so that's that's totally understandable. But we try to weed that out a little bit and, and make sure that the people that are representing our organization understand they're representing a charity. So there is a personal responsibility that comes along with that. We check their social media to make sure that you know the things they're putting out publicly will reflect positively on our organization. Um, so for the Ashraf for Life Challenge, that's a talent-based event, but we do have the ASFL Gauntlet, which is open to all ages and skill levels. It raised over $100,000 last year, had 190 registrants. With the COVID attrition, we ended up at around 115, and we had to totally change the event. And that one does actually have good players in it as well. We had three ESPN Top 100 kids in it last year, but you also have people in that that have never played organized basketball in their life. And what I love about the Gauntlet is that it's such a community feel. Like you'll have on one court, you know, a player throwing down a windmill and on the other court, a kid missing his 10th free throw in a row, but they're all having fun. And I, I think that's a really cool thing that we're able to offer. Yeah, that's like such a cool prospect of like how you, like you have the talent-based one and then you just have the open open floor, forum one. And that's really cool that like, you know, I think it's just cool to get people out there to play for a good cause and makes people happy right. to be out there. And then my other question is too, like how do you scout, like who's a scout? Do you scout, do you have like guys that scout players that make sure they're part of the talent base as well too, or? Yep, so we definitely have coaches that we consult in Massachusetts. I also am here in Massachusetts, so I'm able to see a bunch of these players and am familiar with them. Um, I, I'm actually glad you asked that because there's a couple guidelines that I want to talk about with selection process. Yeah. Number one is we don't take freshmen ever. So even if that freshman was the number one ranked player in the country, we will not take them. The reason why is because it is a rollover roster where it's their spot every year. And for every underclassman we take, that's a senior that will never get picked. And it's a talent-based event. That's okay if, if that player truly does deserve it. But as a freshman, that's four years or three years of chewing up that roster spot. So we, we prefer not to do that. Um, we always give preference to age. So if there's a junior and a senior that are about equal in, in our evaluation, even if the junior is a little better, we'll always take the senior knowing that the junior can be picked the following year. Um, it is a little subjective, truthfully. You know, people have said before, well, why don't you just do it by however many threes you make or what your percentage is? And the problem is that the players we're looking at are playing vastly different talent levels um, in, in competition levels. And so, you know, if a, if a player is at a NEPSAC AAA school and is scoring 15 points a game, that's incredibly impressive. And, and, you know, that may look a little different than a player that might be putting up much more gaudy numbers, but, you know, the competition level is different. So we, it's hard. It is hard to select for this. Not picking players is probably the worst part of my job. Um, but I feel confident in the rosters that we've put forward in, in throughout the years. That's awesome. That's, that's great. I think that's a, like, I think it's a good process of how you do it. And it sounds like a great, great process. And anyone that's listening out there is interested and want to be part of it, like, you know, pay attention to what uh, Mike is saying. And I think it's a good And, and so especially the part about if a senior was picked over you, it's never personal. It's never personal to that kid. Cause look, these kids are, are really talented and they're having success at a young age. And I think they're often getting recruited. And so I think when they get passed over for it, the tendency is to let that competitive out of you and it's what makes them good athletes and so I, I get that but it never is from a personal place it's always just we want to make sure we can get both of you in and this is the way that we can do that yeah yeah that, that's a good way to do it now this is completely off topic we made it to something down the line you think about ever putting like a, a tbt team together and putting them in there that's actually so one of our interns brought that up last summer um <laughs> I think we have the talent to do it. I don't know if we have the size to do it. So every once in a while, we'll take a big if they're dominant. Like if it's like the last spot, really good kid, you know, dominant player, but not necessarily a shooter. 
if it works out, we will take them. Um, we don't have that many of them. Like we have Tommy O'Neill, who's at Harvard now. We had Tyler Gibson, who was Gatorade Player of the Year in Massachusetts our first year. But other than that, I don't know on the boys' side at least how many bigs we've had. And so we would just have to go five five out and, and try to Golden State Warriors people. Yeah, there you go. The shoot a ton of threes. Yeah. It's the best way to go. It's right. Like, <laughs> right. I thought about it. I was like, yeah, you know, not, I just thought about it when we were just talking about it. I was like, you know, it's not a bad idea yeah. if they're trying to put together a team. I know there's some other, you know, teams out in the TBT that do like, you know, donate to charities and stuff like that. Yep. Um, but yeah, I thought that'd be interesting if you could maybe pull that off one one year, do something like that. That'd be really cool. I wouldn't rule it out. I would never rule anything out. That's awesome. That's great. And now you guys just don't do basketball. How do you branch out to like different sports? Cause you just started to do that as well too, right? Yeah. So that's a conversation that we've had on the table for a long time. I think probably every three months or so we'll talk about different ideas in an abstract way about, you know, well, what would it look like if we did an Alpine skiing event? And we'll never do that probably, but it's just an example of something that would come up and we'll, we'll talk about it for five minutes. Um, so we have talked about other sports and when COVID hit, you know, we were facing the very real possibility of no basketball events at all when it was about this time last year or April last year. So we had to pivot to something that we knew could work in the coronavirus climate. We knew a home run derby would be spaced enough to work. What we were really happy to see is that when we announced it, there was so much interest right away. And we did not expect that. We thought we were going to have to build the brand of baseball and it was immediate. And that gave us the inkling that maybe our brand is a little bit more advanced than we had thought in, in markets that we hadn't necessarily targeted yet. Mm -hmm. And that has actually caused us to look at what other sports might make sense to add as we continue to progress. That's awesome. Now, and for the home run derby, is there like a money ball in there as well, too? Like you do, like they're doing. Yeah, the we did the last minute, I think. So we did it by time, not by by balls, because um, we wanted to give the kids, if they were nervous, time to, to sort of swing that out. Yeah. So there were four minute rounds, long rounds. Um, it was a lot of fun though. And for me, you know, I've been around basketball my whole life. Our shot for life players are really good. So when a guy throws down a crazy dunk, it doesn't impress you that much because you've seen it so much. I'm not a baseball guy. So Josh Baez is hitting home runs a hundred miles over the fence. And it's like the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I was like more it. of a fan. Oh yeah. It was awesome. And, yeah, and like, it's easier. It was easier to appreciate their talent on some level because it was so different than anything I'd ever seen before up close. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a basketball guy too, so I'm like, oh, like you know, that's that's great that the guy dunked it. But I, I think if someone like hit like a, a home run, like 300, 400 yards, it'd be like, oh, that was like the most impressive thing I think I've seen in a while. So, so we had a softball division as well, and Destiny McGrath um, was one of our hitters. She hit 101 home runs in 16 minutes. <laughs> it was the most absurd thing I've ever seen in my life. It was every pitch went up. It was, it was unbelievable. If I wasn't there, I wouldn't have believed it. It was unbelievable. Now is that a world record itself too? Gotta be. We should honestly maybe Guinness, <laughs> maybe Guinness will accept this one. We, we should call him and <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have video of this one. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's really cool that you like you're branching out into different sports and just not basketball. I think that I think that's absolutely amazing. But you also do too like a fire and a police department. Like right, they do go against each other. And what's that like as well? So that event's awesome. That was the first step out of the high school fundraiser thing. Um, you know, news publications kept talking about a shop life as a high school fundraiser. And it was like nails on a chalkboard to me because that was never the trajectory that I saw. And I feel like once people view you in a certain pocket, it's really hard to get out of it. And so we had to do that. And the Battle of the Badges was the way that we did that. Um, Bruce Higgins and I coached together at Catholic Memorial and he's a detective in Boston. And 
one of the best people I know. And he helped in with Dave Blandino, um, who also went to my high school, and Scott Malone, who I is a chief for the fire department, whose son went to CM with me. Um, we all kind of helped put together the first Battle of the Badges, and it's gotten popular from the first year. The Boston Skyline lights up for the event, so the TD Garden, the Zakem Bridge, the Prudential Building all light up in red and blue on the day of the event. But the coolest part of the event is the motorcade that we do for a child with cancer. So it was canceled last year due to COVID, but um, in 2019, Saul Polanco showed up. And so we do research on the patient and he loves Spider-Man and the Black Panther. So we had two people dressed up as Spider-Man and the Black Panther greeting him outside of the fire truck that dropped him off. And it's my favorite A Shot for Life picture ever. The, the look on his face is just, it's why we work 10 hour days. It, it was just the, the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. And he scores in a packed house. Everybody goes crazy. He gets an MVP trophy at the end of the event. Um, it's just a really good community event in Boston. And I'm looking forward to bringing that back, hopefully by May, but if not by June of this year. That's awesome. And then, you know, you mentioned COVID, like how did COVID affect you guys in 2020 and how did it affect your events? And how did you like be able to get, still get your events in with, with dealing with COVID as well too? So, so I think with, with an organization like ours, by the time we announce an initiative, it's at least six to 18 months in production. Um, we were 18 months into development of a mammoth scale event that we had tabled like the home render we, you know we've talked about that before that was tabled for an event that was coming in june of 2020 it started in june, uh fall of 2018 and we had to slam the brakes on it absolutely heartbreaking um we had to adjust everything i mean we had to totally reinvent the wheel we had to change every event completely rebuild how we did them credit to all of the players in our community for rolling with us on that and not you know the so we do an orientation meeting for the basketball program um, and they had to start fundraising. And so we were still on lockdown. So me, my staff and all of our players met in an undisclosed location in Massachusetts at a random park. We had players driving from all over. We spaced them out. No one knew we were doing it. And um, it was a cool moment for, for our organization actually that we all kind of worked together with that. But to answer your question, um, it changed everything. It was, it was extremely difficult to navigate. I'm thankful that we did. I'm thankful for all the people that came together to, to help sort of make all of that work um, despite the challenges we were facing. And I'm very much looking forward to a year where we don't have to meet in the park randomly at 5 p.m. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be really nice. But it's crazy to show how much adversity and how much kids have adversity dealing with this COVID and being able to, you know, still make events and make things happen. That's, that's awesome for you guys as well, too. Um, and now, yeah, of course. And now I want to ask too, because you guys are expanding to Rhode Island, you know, What's it like coming to another state and be able to expand into another state of Rhode Island, like in Rhode Island? And what are you looking forward to doing here? I'm looking forward to building a shop for life's infrastructure there. So I want to do the basketball event first. I do have plans to bring the baseball event and softball event as well. Um, I had actually a conversation about that earlier this morning about when that could be and what that could look like. I want to see how it goes. I, I think it's going to be really great. I think that the players are going to love it just like our Massachusetts players have loved it. Um, I absolutely see a scenario where it goes throughout at least New England and, and maybe beyond, but we're going to see how Rhode Island goes first, but I'm very excited to, to get this thing started. That's awesome. And why Rhode Island? Is it like, is it because it's close by or is it just... So that was part of it. It's, it's close by. And so it's an easy place that if I do have to get out and see a player in Rhode Island, or if I do have to get there for a meeting, I can get there. And, and so that, that's one of the reasons. The other reason is that Bob Pipe, who is now the athletic director at St. George's, used to be the athletic director at Rivers, which is a prep school in Massachusetts. We always had a really great relationship while he was there. So it was a very easy call to somebody I already knew. And um, 
you know, he was extremely gracious and offered St. George's as the host. And um, so it just made sense on a, on a variety of levels. Yeah, beautiful location. Saint it is. Beautiful it is. location. Look, right on the water, so you can't go wrong with that. It is. <laughs> that's all. That's that's real good. And now uh, this is a, a totally question. Like, uh, when are you looking forward to start? Uh, you know, the events in Rhode Island, and you know, how can players look to sign up if you're in Rhode Island? So the date is August 14th. Um, the selection process has begun. We are going to reach out to them, and so for this one they will hear from me. Um, usually it's by a text directly. And we do that for two reasons. Number one, I wanna make sure the player is responsible with their phone. And so, you know, teenagers are, are iffy with correspondences. And so I wanna make sure that the players that we take, God forbid there's a scheduling change like we had in Massachusetts last year. I need players that are gonna see their phone and say, okay, yeah, I can handle it. Um, I guess one reason actually, that, that, that's why we do it is, is so that just to make sure the kid is able to talk back and forth. That's awesome. That's great. And now I have a question for like outside of the shop for life and everything that you're doing. You coach basketball. You mentioned that. Do you still coach basketball? Yes. Or are you still part of that? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. What's it like coaching basketball like during this crazy time as well, too? It's, um, you know, it's interesting. So I coach freshman basketball. And so I, I kind of see both ends of the spectrum. You know, we have the shop for life workouts and Anthony Morales is throwing in off the backboard alley-oops and then going to his full ride place in the fall. And then I'm teaching kids, you know, the concept of a backdoor cut. So it's a very big difference with, with the two levels of player that I work with. Um, but I kind of love that, to be honest with you. I mean, I, for me, the coaching is less intense and it's, and it's more just sharing the love of basketball with a bunch of kids. Like that, that's really the part that I've liked about it. Um, you know, it has been challenging, certainly balancing it with a shot for life, but it's something that I really love to do. And, and CM is a program I grew up in and is always going to mean a lot to me. No, that's awesome, Mike. Mike, you're just a great guy, man. Everything that you're doing is so, so wonderful and so amazing. And, you know, being able to, um, you know, make money for charity and help out with the charity. What, and then what is the charity that you donate to? I'm not sure if we mentioned that in the beginning of the show. What's so the Dr. Curry Research Lab is a recipient of our funds. Um, he actually coincidentally played at Harvard in the early 90s. Wow. Total coincidence, like 100% not on purpose. But I think it's kind of cool that the basketball tag goes all the way through to the actual research, which is a pretty cool thing. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, you're doing amazing things, man. And I love I love the idea. And it's awesome that it's, it's basketball focused and it's the first, you know, basketball charity event, uh, you know, charity charity that's going on. So I love it, man. You're doing an excellent job of everything. It's, it's so cool. And I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get in touch. I'm glad that you're coming to Rhode Island. Rhode Island is such a big basketball state. So I think, yeah. I think you picked the right state because we, we love our basketball here. And can I also just say, I really appreciate you having me on. You know, I understand that we're the new guy in Rhode Island. And so we want to involve as many people as possible that are, you know, a part of the Rhode Island basketball community, eventually a part of the Rhode Island baseball and softball community. And, you know, we want to make sure that we are as inclusive as we possibly can be. Hey, whatever we can do for you, happy to have you back on, happy to bring players on, whatever you need with the Rhode Island runbacks here for you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Of course. Mike, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep You just have a great heart and keep doing what you're doing, all right? Thank you, man. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. All right. That was my interview with Mike Salina. Great interview with Mike. Really enjoyed our conversation. Looking forward to do more down the line with Mike and a Shop for Life Foundation. So very excited for them to be coming to Rhode Island. I think it's just a great program. So just really enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully we'll be seeing more of Shop for Life in Rhode Island for sure. On Wednesday, I have a, another great interview for you guys with 
lineman and senior lineman, I should say, for the Wesley Bulldogs high school football team, Connor Martin. A great interview with Connor. I really enjoyed our conversation. Great kid. A great future ahead of him. Just a great mind. Really cool. Really chill kid. So I really enjoyed our conversation very much. Be on the lookout for that episode on Wednesday and Friday. We will keep you updated with the episode we're going to be doing Friday. And so we will see you guys on Wednesday. Have a great Monday and a Tuesday. See you Friday.